0: Alright, right, last session, we finished up by talking about we've been given the Holy Spirit as the pledge of our inheritance because we had listened to the message of the truth and we had believed it. And that was what God gave us in return for our faith. Well, we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and go through about 23, which is the end of the chapter this week. And uh, so it starts out like this. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, that's again, I'm going to take this apart a little bit and just talk through it and show you how important this is. You know, if you look back at the second week, I believe, of the Foundation series, we talked about uh, getting to know our Heavenly Father and how important that is, that that is the prime directive. That's the number one thing above all things for us as His children. Because everything about being able to live life like He lives is built on that. Intimate knowledge of knowing our Father. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul, who was a great Jewish person, he did all the laws, he was blameless and all that, he said, I gave up all of that that I might know him and have a righteousness that's not based on the law, but the righteousness that comes from the basis of faith. And then he says, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his image, and so forth. Conform to his death. So Paul says, because I know you have faith in Christ and you have been given the Holy Spirit of promise, um, I'm praying for you. That's the reason he's just so intent on this church and the people that are there. And he asks, he, he thanks God for them, but he asks God to do something. He asks God to give them the spirit of wisdom And of revelation and knowledge of Him. Over the years as a biblical counselor, what I have found and seen in my own life and basically everybody else (laughs) is that we have a tendency to relate to God based on what we think and believe about God. That kind of makes sense, you know. If you believe something about a human being, whether it's true or not, you will you will relate to that person based on what you believe about them. Are they trustworthy? Are they mean? Uh, Whatever you believe about them, that will be the basis of how you relate to them. Well, if we're going to trust our Heavenly Father, but the concept we have about Him is wrong, it makes it hard for us to trust Him in the way that He wants us to trust Him. If we think that He is withholding, or that He plays favorites, or that he's waiting for us to deserve something before he'll love us then we will relate to him as though that were true so paul understands that not only did that's is that the reason he came to christ that he might know him but he's praying that the people here in ephesus will know god in such a way that they had this spirit of wisdom and revelation Because in reality, none of us will get to know God except he reveals himself to us. Now, Jesus came and actually did that. But as he lived his life, most people looked at him and thought he was crazy or demon-possessed or whatever. A few people believed. And one day, Peter, uh, when Jesus said, who do you think I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, Jesus responded to Peter and said, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Understanding and knowing God is not a question of us being smart enough to figure it out. It's a question about us looking enough and listening enough so that when he reveals himself to us, we see it and hear it. Again, just by looking and listening, we're not going to figure it out. But the great thing is, knowing God is something he wants us to know. He's not withholding that. He's been trying to make himself known since the Garden of Eden. And all through history, he kept revealing himself and showing up. And when people, quote, didn't deserve it, he would show up and love them. You know? God proved His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we weren't even looking for a Savior, when we did nothing to deserve His love, He loved us anyway and He sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so Paul is praying, I want you to know your Father in such a way that you'll trust Him. And that will only happen as God reveals Himself to us. Now, I've personally had the experience of asking God to basically show me something. And sure enough, he did, in one instance, 30 years later. And you could think, well, (laughs) that's kind of lame. Why did he wait 30 years? Well, what I asked him to help me understand required other teaching so that it would make sense. It would be like if your little child asked you, as mine did one day, How do airplanes fly? Well, I'm not an aerodynamic engineer or any of those kind of things, but I do understand a little bit about the airfoil and the lift that's created by the vacuum over the wing and that kind of stuff. Well, he was like four or five years old. If I had tried to explain the tiny little bit I knew, he'd have gone, huh, what does that mean? You know. So literally for my son to understand how an airplane flies, to really understand it, you'd have to start with things like 2 plus 2 equals 4, okay, and build a knowledge of math and science and physics and eventually aerodynamics. And then one day he goes, oh, that's how airplanes fly. Okay, so God wants us to know, but he also knows where we're at. And he's going to take us from where we are, a new child, born again, and grow us to maturity. in the spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation. That he's showing us things about who he is. Because when he sh- here's the deal. If God shows us who he is, who he is, he's actually showing us who we are. Because we were made in his image. When he shows us how he loves, he's showing us how he wants to love through us. So that our words speak the words of love that he wants to speak, and our actions do the deeds of love that he wants to do. And that's part of that being a joint heir with Jesus Christ we've been talking about quite a bit last week and sometimes before that, that we're being given all these resources because as a new creature, we've got all kinds of new resources, a new nature, a new father. And this knowledge of him, which is always the prime directive, getting to know God, eventually leads to our practice. The way we live our life will be in accordance with who God actually is rather than who we kind of thought he was. I've realized that for myself and most of us, we develop an idea about God early in life that's based on other people we know. Our parents, teachers, pastors, friends, uncles, whoever just people in our life that are large and in charge they're kind of authority figures in our life and we get an idea or an impression that that's what people who are in charge of things are like and we have a tendency to overlay that image on God and presume presume that he's just like that well he's not he's not like anybody we've ever known nobody on earth other than Christ himself has ever actually displayed the nature and the character of God but even then, when Jesus did it, they said he was crazy. They thought he was demon-possessed, that he was a blasphemer, and that, that he deserved to die. Well, all he did was live God. He lived humanity as God intended when he made us in our image, in his image. Well, if we pick up in verse 18 of chapter 1 in Ephesians, it says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you'll know what is the hope of his calling, that confidence of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What did you get? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's take that apart. The spirit of the revelation, the knowledge of him, he said, I pray that your eyes and your heart will be enlightened. The eyes of your heart, that this inner being that lives in you, your your spiritual being that you are, that you'll be enlightened to the truth so that you'll know what is the hope of his calling. Hope is that confidence that God is going to fulfill what he said he's going to do, whether it looks like. It can ever happen or not. I believe it is because he's the one who made the promise. And what was that promise? Vast riches. Not money and gold and silver. True thing, Things that are truly valuable, like love and kindness. Caring for others the way God has cared for us. The ability to see and understand the truth and walk in a trusting relationship with God. That's the riches of his inheritance. So that whether you have a little or a lot in this life becomes almost irrelevant. It becomes secondary in all things. And how does this happen? It says, because of the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Again, it's not, okay, he's giving me the stuff, i got to figure out how to use it and make something out of it. Uh, because he's he's waiting to see how I pass the test. No, he lives in us. It's not about, am I able to do this? It's knowing that he is able to do this and me being willing to let him work through this person, this body, this voice, this understanding, this schedule, these physical and emotional resources to accomplish his will on earth it's literally like jesus prayed in the garden of gethsemane not my will but your will be done it's trusting him to the extent that the way i'm living is actually his life because that's what he wants to do and say in the moment now how do He do this it says he brought it about in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the eight, also in the one to come. All right, so there's nothing yet to come that's going to supersede what's been done in Christ. It is finished. When he said that, he really meant it. When you are in Christ, we're not looking for something better someday. You actually have it in you now. Okay, one day I'm going to leave this body and leave this world, this physical realm, and I'm going to live in the heavenly realms, whatever that means. And it's going to be better, but it's just an extension of what I have right now. I already have the life of Christ in me now, and so do you if you're a child of God. And so it's just like unwrapping the gift. It's already yours, but the more we unwrap it, the more we see what's in it and be able to enjoy the things that God has given us not based on something we've done, but based on what He's done and His power. We don't have to worry about something coming someday that will derail what God is doing in us because He put all things, God the Father put all things in subjection under the feet of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, according to Romans chapter 8. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything in all creation could ever Separate us from his love. And this is for us. We, the church, his body, it says right here in verse 23, that we would experience the fullness of him who fills everything. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a, still have a tendency at times to get focused on the things going on around me. And fret about that and get ticked off about this, and worry about that, and wonder about something, and whatever. You know, I don't care if it's health, or politics, or the weather, or whatever. Um, Something has a way of trying to grab my attention every day, if not almost every moment of every day. And I can look at that based on my limited understanding of everything there is to know, which is everything, and begin to fret about that or be upset about that, or depressed about that. But in reality, because everything is subject to Christ, I don't need to sweat those things. I don't need to worry about those things. That's why he said, don't worry about tomorrow. It'll get here when it gets here. Your father cares for you. He provides for lilies of the field and the birds of the sky. You're worth a lot more than they are. So he's always been telling us, trust your dad. He knows how to give you good gifts, and he will take care of you. you know, the psalmist said, I've been young, and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God the Father will take care of his children. Now, will he take care of me according to the world's definition of what it means to take care of your kids? No. He'll do a much better job than that. Well, I don't have that brand new whatever. That's right, the one they got the one I have runs. <laughs> because that's not what life consists of. You know, Jesus said when you when you have a bunch of stuff, if you have an abundance of things, how the Bible puts it, your life does not consist of those things. But the world tells you it does. And so it's easy for us to get distracted and feel shortchanged because we don't have the stuff this world says means God loves you. When in reality we have everything that actually means. God loves us when we have Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us. You know, back at the V, uh, a few weeks back, we talked about a series of new things a new nature, a new family, a new nurture, new resources, this new union we have through the Holy Spirit. Well, here, he's talking about being part of his body. This is this new family we have, this new nurture that's going on, the Father who's revealing himself to us, that he has secured us in Christ, that he's taking care of us by his power and authority, and he is the one who's over his body, the church, not anybody else, and he is not neglecting his body, the church. Now, the interesting thing about what God is doing in us, this is a complete takeover, I'm going to give you a, kind of an odd illustration, maybe. If you've ever seen the movie Spider-Man, you know here's this young guy, and he gets bit on the back of the neck by this spider. And gradually, over the next few days and weeks, the, uh, the nature of the spider begins to take over the boy, or the young man, and he begins to you know, shoot webs out of his wrists and all this kind of stuff. All right, so when God put his Holy Spirit in us, the essence of who we are as a being changed. The old person was crucified with Christ and a new creature has been born. uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that because he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. All right, so this takeover begins at the spiritual level. This new DNA, if you want to call it that, has been injected into us. And his spirit is now joined to our spirit, sealing us in that condition by his power. And it's working its way outward through our mind, will, and emotions that eventually leads to our actions. We talked about that several weeks ago. I even mentioned it a couple weeks ago about beliefs change how you think and feel and choose to act. Well, that truth, when the Holy Spirit communicates with our spirit, well, how does he do that? Well, on a spiritual level, he actually just talks to us. You know, what does it say in Romans chapter 8? The Spirit of God himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God, and such we are. So he's in there saying, you're my child. That's not who you are. This is who you are. Don't let the world define you. Let me define you, because I'm your dad, not them, okay? And so he's, he's reassuring us, okay, but Father, how do you do that? Glad you asked, you know? And he begins to show us what it means to love and care for those around us the way he does, because ultimately that's all life is. Your business, how you do your work, how you take care of your family, how you treat people on the road that are driving next to you in that other car, all of that amounts to living life in a way that shows other people they're valuable, which is love. Okay? So this complete takeover is beginning. We're being transformed from the inside out. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to change you from the outside in, and eventually you'll be good enough for me to put my spirit in you. He said, no, I want to start with putting my spirit in you and then take over your whole being from the inside out so that your way you think will change how you feel and choose to live physically in the world that you live in. This is literally the establishment of a new kingdom. You know, Jesus talked an awful lot about his kingdom. Um, and his kingdom can't be overthrown. It's an eternal kingdom. And God's children are part of that kingdom. And that kingdom is unshakable and is never ending. Okay, maybe someday we'll do a little series on the kingdom of God. That's all I'm going to say about it for right now. But we are part of his kingdom. That's why it said in the passage we just read that he is head over all rule and authority. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he's your dad. That's awesome. Ephesians 2, we're going to start there right now and look at the first 10 verses this week. It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, you too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Okay, that's who you were. He's just talking about who we are in Christ. He's he's reminding us, that's who you were, not who you are. There's not two of you, a bad you and a good you. That's just who you were. Verse 4 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That union with him, You know, this is what you used to be, but God. God did something that completely changed who you are. He made you alive. You were dead, and now you're alive. You know, I heard this statement. I love it. I can't say I I created it, but I love it. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. We were dead in our transgressions. But he made us alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's just God's graciousness that he brought us in. And what did he do? Well, he gave us that new union we're talking about in the last couple weeks. By the indwelling Holy Spirit. It goes on in verse 6 and he says this. And raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that, so that we would walk in them. All right, so here's the deal. He raised us up with him. Seated us with him in heavenly places. If you're a child of God, even though you're standing here on planet earth, you're actually seated with Christ in heavenly places. So that for the ages to come, his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ will be displayed. So he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. We'll be unpacking this treasure chest forever. And it's all a result of God's grace. God doing something for us that we did not deserve. Not on the basis of anything, but just his mercy and his gracious nature. So what did he do? Well, he gave us those new resources. We are his body supplied from him with everything we need. So it's like I used a Illustration a while back in the series about a little flashlight. All the parts were there, but it wouldn't light. Then I put a battery in it, and now it lights up. So its purpose for existence can now be realized, not because of anything that it has, but because of something that's been put inside of it. When God put himself inside of us, everything to display through all the ages like it talks about, his kindness towards us, the riches of His grace, is because of His indwelling presence. In 2 Peter 1, 3, it says this, Seeing His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So God has put His nature in us so that we could get to know Him through this revelation work that the Holy Spirit does. So that as he enlightens us to the nature and the character of God, he's enlightening us to our own nature and character that is being developed in us through this relationship with Christ. This new nature is being expressed as a result of faith. That's a daily activity. So that in the moments we find ourselves, what you hear coming out of our voices and what you see our hands doing is what God wants to say and do in that moment. You know, over the years, I worked in a lot of disaster zones doing chaplaincy. And uh, be it hurricanes, fires, disasters of all kinds, tornadoes, ground zero in New York City. I was there a couple of times. And I couldn't make the tower stand back up. I couldn't make the flood go away. I couldn't bring a person's house back or their loved one back to life. But as I was there, allowing Christ to listen with my ears Speak with my voice. Hand somebody a bottle of water or a piece of fruit or a snack of some kind. Listening to their story, helping them unpack their pain and realize and praying for them so that they realize God loves them and He's there to care for them. You know, The organization I was working with called that the Ministry of Presence. Just show up. Let Christ live through you. He is giving us the divine power to live life in a godly way. It talks about in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 1 there. What is godliness? It's godlikeness. It's what he started out with in the Garden of Eden when he created man and and woman. He said, let's make, make them in our likeness. Okay, so he's given us his power so that that can be our reality, so that we live life godly. The way we live, shows the likeness of God. And how do we do that? It's by faith. And why do we do that by faith? Because we got to know Him to the point that we trust Him so that in this moment, wherever I am, what He wants to do and what He wants to say is what people are seeing and what people are hearing. Well, this is a great journey that we're on here talking about what God is doing in us and through us. And as we go through Ephesians, we'll see more and more about how that applies now that he's laid the foundation in the first chapter and going into chapter 2, he'll eventually get to the place, Paul will, where he shows us how to apply that and live it out in a practical way and what kind of things to avoid that would tend to derail our progress and our ability to display that nature and character of God as he intends for us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have thought this out long before the ages began that you are working to accomplish what you started and that you've done it in such a marvelous way by putting yourself in us by your Holy Spirit and enlightening us to who you are so that we can trust you more and live in a way that displays the very nature and the character of who you are because you've given that nature and character to us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen.